Go ahead and have a seat. As our kids are dismissed, I want to say something to everyone, including our kids. Listen, kids, as you're walk, getting your stuff and walking out, the truth of that ought to just make us scream, right? Like, we're going to go to a place this morning talking about dying to self and talking about how we fail, but God's love never gives up on us, and it's big. It's really important. Really important. Let's, uh, let's pray and dig right in because we've got a lot to get to this morning and I don't want to keep you here till 2 o'clock. I like to say that every now and then, but nobody really responds. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for his example of his life, his example of his death, his example of his service and servanthood, his example of hubatasso, his example of, of obedience to you, God. But mostly, I thank you for the grace and mercy that he provides. He was the living proof of your grace and your mercy and your love. You demonstrated your love for us by sending him to this earth to die while we were still sinners, while we were still wretched and apart from you. God, I pray now that you would guide our minds and guide our thoughts, guide our attention, guide our affection this morning, God. And we would know the power of Christ and his resurrection. It's in Christ's perfect name that I pray. Amen. Uh, Let me read Colossians 3, 1 through 4. They provide the the gist of where we'll be this morning. We're going to be everywhere Uh, a lot of stuff throughout the New Testament this morning. Let me read these first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. They are central to what's going to happen for the rest of Colossians, and they are central to all of the teaching of the New Testament. All the teaching of Paul, all the teaching of Christ is really found in these four verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Don't let the familiarity of verses make you pass by what just was said. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. He is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This morning we're talking about death to self. Self-denial. Killing yourself. Crucifying yourself. And it's the central theme of Christ. It's the central theme of Paul. And it's the central theme of the New Testament. The message that God has has brought to me this morning is one, like, I'd kind of been wrestling with this text all week, and, and actually, I've been looking forward to these four verses, preaching these four verses, when Dave and Mike and I started talking about what our next series was going to be back a year ago. And I was excited, and Dave's not here so I can say this, nobody tell him, okay? Like, I'm the one who gets to outline our, our series, right? 
and then we kind of divvy up, you're going to preach these, we're going to preach these, I'm going to preach these, whatever. Like, I kind of manipulated it that I got to preach these four, these four verses. Don't tell them. Um, but it's a, because these verses are so central. So I've been looking, I've literally been looking forward to preaching this sermon for a year since we first started talking about studying Colossians, because I knew these verses were here, and I knew they were central, and whatever. Okay, so I've been wrestling with these for like a year, and then in particular this week, and then I sit down on Friday to, to manuscript the sermon, right? And I'm, maybe the first half of the morning I'm, I'm writing, and I've got something that's, you know, it's, it's great and ready to go, and then my, my process is to write something and then back away and then come back to it. And so I backed away and I came back to it and I just looked at it and was like, this, this, is, this is not it. It was, it was created in, in my own flesh, in my own self, in my own hope, in my own abilities, and delete, gone. Because and, and it, the, the irony of that is that that's what this is all about, is so many times we want to pick up the tools and do it ourselves. or we, we think that somehow we have in us some sort of ability to do something. And apart from Christ, apart from death to self, we're wasting everyone's time. And, and I, I want, to, want to hammer that this morning. Apart from Christ, apart from absolute surrender, apart from complete Humility, apart from complete self-crucifixion, we're wasting everyone's time. And from 8.15 until about 11.15, I was writing the sermon. I was operating in my strength, and it was a waste of everyone's time. And that's the beautiful irony is that I then spent like the next hour and a half praying for God to come and give us a message this morning. And I think that he's done that, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. Uh, so Colossians 3, 1 through 4, I want to walk through these verses again, and we'll, every, Paul has four short epistles, epistles in, in Scripture. They're four short letters that he's written, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. In every one of these, these verses appear in some form or fashion, we're going to look at them this morning. And also, in some form or fashion, they appear in every one of the Gospels. And we're going to look at a couple of those out of Matthew and, and one of those out of Luke this morning. But ultimately, this idea of, of death to self is found all over the Scripture. And we're going to spend our time this morning thinking about what it means to kill yourself. And like there's, there's nothing more important for your joy, for your mission, for your purpose for your relationships, for your marriage, for your friendships. There's nothing more important for you than this idea, this notion of putting oneself to death. Let's read these verses again in Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. I want to stop and, and think a little bit about this idea of, of what it means to set your mind. It's very similar to pulling up your phone and telling Siri where you, where you want to go and Siri telling you where to go. Setting your mind, the, the word picture here, the Greek language, is that idea that we are centrally focused and if you're going and you get off course a little bit, 
Siri's going to reroute you and take you back to this spot. You understand? Like any GPS that you've got, if you get off a course, it's going to say rerouting, and then it's going to think, and then it's going to send you to another direction to get to this place. That's what it means to set your mind. It's to put blinders on, to free yourself from distraction. Nothing else is of value. It is the thing. It is the place. It is the destination that you're going. Set your mind on things that are above. Now, the error that we can have here is to decide that setting our things on, on setting our sights, setting our mind on things that are above can make us just completely deny the stuff that's on that's in this world, the tangible things that are in this world. And and I want to say there is there's nothing inherently wrong with enjoying the creation that God has given to you. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a relationship. There's nothing wrong inherently, with enjoying your marriage, enjoying your wife. Jeff and Megan, you're going to hold your baby in a couple of days. There's, it, we can take this passage to a wrong step and decide that setting my mind on things that are above means I don't enjoy this child that you guys are going to hold in a few days. That's not what this is talking about. There's nothing wrong with, there's nothing inherently wrong with enjoying a good meal. There's nothing wrong inherently wrong with enjoying a good baseball game. There's nothing wrong inherently with enjoying the things that God has given to us. However, there's, there's a quote that I read from C.S. Lewis at one point. Ben, throw that up there. Um, C.S. Lewis says this, I have tried to make every pleasure into a channel of adoration. I don't mean simply by giving thanks for it. One must, of course, give thanks, but I mean something different. Gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. Adoration says, what must the character of that being whose far off and momentary coruscations are like this? I've read this quote several times every time I needed to find coruscations because I don't have any idea what it means apart from Webster. Coruscation is a sudden, brilliant flash of light. A lightning bolt is a coruscation. A sudden and brilliant flash of life. What adoration says, what must the quality of being be to bring to me, to bring to my, my senses an opportunity to lay a hold of his sudden and momentary brilliant flashes of light? This is adoration. And when we are setting our mind on things that are above, while enjoying the presence of God's presence here on this earth, perfect example, when you hold your baby, Jeff and Megan. That's a sudden and momentary coruscation. And we can channel that to think, God, you have given this life to me to serve, to protect, to grow, to nurture, to plant the gospel, all those things. To direct my path. And we can, we can trace that gift of that child back up to the Lord. And what beautiful characteristics of God must be present for him to have given this beautiful gift. What beautiful characteristics of God must be present to give us the beautiful gift of the relationships that we share, of a sunset that we get to see. Do we think about a sunset in that context? The creativity and wonder and beauty of our God to create something so perfectly beautiful so as to encapture our minds and our hearts artistically and think about the beauty of him 
trace that sunbeam back up to the sun and see the beauty of our God. This is adoration. So this message this morning about death to self has nothing to do with not enjoying creation. God has given it to us to enjoy. But God has given it it to us to enjoy so that we might understand the beauty of who he is. It's big and it's really important. Don't, as I've talked the rest of the morning about crucifying yourself, that doesn't mean we all become monks and we live in a cabin in the woods and never speak to another human being other than God. What it means is we engage this life and trace things and adore our God and worship him. The next passage I want to take to you, Galatians 2.20. Very, uh, very familiar passage, very memorized passage, and really gets to the heart of, of what we're talking about here. Again, the same author that wrote Colossians 3, 1 through 4, wrote this. It's Paul. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Before I want to go any further, we're going to see this word crucified show up a lot. And, and I don't want to pass up what it means. A lot of times we see crucified and we see death to self and we think that there's just been a death. But crucifixion, go back to any Good Friday service you guys have ever been to. Crucifixion was a horrific Awful, awful death. When you die on the cross, when a person died on the cross, it was of asphyxiation. The weight of your body was pressing against your lungs so that you could not get breaths and you would eventually die from, from that. But for Christ, prior, he received all these awful beatings where ribbons of flesh were actually tearing away from his backside, from the top of his neck to the bottom of his of his calves down here. There was just ripped apart from the beatings that he took. This is crucifixion. I want us to understand this is crucifixion. This is what God is calling us to. Not a simple self-denial, but a crucifixion. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we've got crucified, and now it's no longer I who live trying to please myself, which is where sin comes from, from the very beginning, back in the garden in Genesis 2 and 3. Sin arose when Satan told Adam and Eve, a lie about themselves that they believed. That somehow God is holding out on you, that somehow there is some more to this life than what God has provided for you. And so they try to provide for their own joy. Every sin they will ever commit is rooted there. God, I don't believe that you have my best interest in mind or I don't believe you can come through on my best interest. And so I'm going to go out and get for me. That idea, that is everywhere in our society. I'm going to go out and get mine. Nobody else is going to give me mine, so i got to go out and get it. This is contrary to the Christian message, contrary to Galatians 2.20, to just relax and let God give you what God intends to give you. And that's what this idea of faith is. Galatians 2.20. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You've, you may have heard me define 
faith this way in the past, it is not just trust, but there's a level of surrender to faith. It is, God, I trust that you intend to give me what I want and what I need, what is needed to provide for my life. I trust you. And there's more to it. The complete faith is I bet my life on that trust. I bet everything that I am on that trust that you not only can but will provide for my life. This is faith. And this is how we live our lives. To die to self is really to live your life with faith because Christ is calling us to this death, to this personal death, to this death to self. And when we don't try to go out and get ours, we're stepping out in faith and trust and surrender that God will indeed provide for us. And this works itself out in every, every category from our marriages and the hardship and difficulty there. When we serve self, our marriages struggle. When we serve self and see that our spouse is serving self, we want to serve self more, and it causes problems and issues and struggles. It's huge in every aspect of our lives. With our money, when we try to provide for ourselves, God will break that down. Every aspect of your life is found here in this death to self idea, and we need to learn what it means to have faith in who God is. The next passage is Philippians chapter 2. This is following Christ and who he was. This is a, this is a big deal. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Um, this is Christ and his example of humility. This is Christ doing what we're being called to do here. What Colossians 3, 1 through 4 said and what Galatians 2, 20 said, this is Christ actively doing what it was that we're being called to do. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, ultimately just we've seen his life, we've seen his death, we've seen his resurrection, we've seen who he is. If that would bring us any courage to act like Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. And this word here, when we see mind, it's attitude. And attitude is the state of mind that predicts how you respond to external circumstances. I'm going to find that again. Mind, attitude. The state of mind that predicts how you respond to external circumstances. You follow that? Somebody with a bad attitude, if you do good to them, they're going to give you bad. External circumstances produce bad out of a bad attitude. A good attitude, external circumstances, if stuff happens badly to somebody with a good attitude, they're going to give you good. So your attitude, your mind, is the state of mind that predicts how you respond to external circumstances. Okay? Follow? It's important to grasp that notion of attitude and mind as we are here. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same attitude, having the same thing that predicts my response to external circumstances. Having the same love and being a full of cord and of one mind. And here it is. This is how we are, the mind that we are to have. Verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. 
This rivalry just means I want what they've got. I want to have it for myself. I want to get for myself. There's an idea again. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. This word humility is the same word we talked about last week. It's, it's this really 37-letter long Greek word that I can't pronounce. Uh, that basically is just a self-abasement. Like, I am denying myself. I am not going to try to provide for my own needs. Instead, I'm going to let God provide for my needs. This is, I'm not concerned for who I am or getting what I need or what I want. Instead, I'm following. It's a self-denial. It's willingly placing yourself low. It is humility is the root word for the word humiliation. This is what Christ is calling us to. Um, Whenever I think about this word humiliation, I think about a, a, a very humiliating moment in my life. I was a sophomore in high school, and I'd been bumped by a, a car and tore some ligaments in my ankles and on crutches. And I was at McClure High School, and McClure High School has tile everywhere, or they did at that point. Um, and the crutches that I had, the only crutches that Walgreens had were uh, just wooden with no rubber tips on the bottom. <clears throat> yep. Uh, so tile and wooden with no rubber tips crutches and and i'm 16 years old and by the way when i was when i was a sophomore in high school i weighed like 94 pounds so i already had enough people looking at me like what is wrong with that kid he's like in fourth grade like how big cooper is right now is how big i was as a 16 year old it's not a joke uh so i'm already humiliated enough um so i'm I've, i've got these crutches and i'm going to class and i'm going down the stairs and i've got friends who are next to me, and I've got a handful of books trying to work crutches on tile steps with torn ligaments in my ankle, and I begin to slip, and the crutches just fling right out for me. And so what happens is this. Um, my books go flying all over, and by the way, here's my friends just watching me fall. So what my books go flying, one crutch, I'm, I'm trying to catch myself, and so I, I fling it like back up the stairs, and the other one, if you guys ever been skiing and your skis fall off, and the, like the little stops that are there that are designed to, to catch in the snow, and not, like sometimes they don't, and your, your ski goes all the way down the mountain, that was my, my other crutch, sliding down the stairs all the way to the bottom of the stairs. So I've got one to the top of the stairs and one at the bottom of the stairs, books everywhere, and like like the worst thing you can ever do in high school, right, is to trip, especially on the stairs. I was completely and utterly humiliated. My friends were watching me, giggling, and other people, what is wrong with that fourth grade kid? <laughs> and this just utter humiliation. And I was placed low, and like nobody wants to help this poor kid. And nobody, like, it's, it's just really sad. <laughs> Rebecca's like, oh, I would want to help him. <laughs> uh, but the, that, that idea of, of where I was in my own state of mind, that idea of just being low, like I wanted to be anywhere but there in that moment because I look like a complete idiot. This is the root of what humility means. This is the root of Christ willingly coming to look like an idiot, willingly come to lay himself down, to be humble, to be humiliated. This is Christ. This is his example. And this is the call that he's placed on us. 
to willingly place ourselves under Him. Keep going. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, in humiliation, willingly placing yourself under other people. Count them as more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, not trying to get yours and get what's coming to you, but instead the interests of others. This is Christ. This is his example. The call of our lives is to have death to ourselves, and here is Christ setting the example. The beautiful part of this call of death to self, it it is nothing that Christ has not already done perfectly. By considering others more important than himself. One of the things we miss about the life and death and resurrection of Christ is that he left heaven to come to this earth. Not that just that he lived this perfect life and died a brutal, awful death, but what he left to come here. Humility, humiliation. What is God calling us to leave? Chances are he's calling you to give something. It costs something to follow Christ. Verse 5, have this mind, this attitude, this state of mind that predicts how we respond to this world, to external circumstances. Have this mind among yourselves, Christ's mind, that other people are more important than me. It's yours in Christ Jesus. Because of what Christ has done, he's given it to us. Remember back in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, what we have has been given to us by Christ. Our life is now hidden in Christ. We have this authority, we have this power, we have this offering to us here and now, forever. And the mind of Christ is this, verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He had every right to make claims to authority, to power, to get for himself, but he didn't. Verse 7, what he did instead was made himself nothing. He crucified himself. He died to himself. Taking the form of a servant and being born in a likeliness, likeliness of men. This word servant is slave, bond servant. And in our context, 2013, the United States of America, when we think about slavery, we think of something that this is not talking about. When we, whenever we see scripture, most of the time when we see scripture say the word slave, it's not talking about what we know in this country as slavery, where there are people that were brought over on a boat and sold and became slaves and beatings and whippings and awful, gruesome things that happened in this country. That's not this sort of slavery. Most of the time in Scripture, when it says slavery, it's talking about a bondservant who willingly gives himself to the service of another. And the response to that giving themselves to the service of another is protection and provision for that servant. Most of the time in Scripture, in the New Testament, slavery was, I give myself to this family, my family to this family, and we're going to serve this family. And the family that I've given myself to protects and provides for me and my family. And many times when that bondservant would want to be done and go and live their own life, they would be given freedom to go and do that. But here's Christ as this sort of bondservant, giving himself, willingly giving himself for the service of another. And this is what it means 
to die to yourself. This is what it means here to be made in the form of a servant. And Christ not only was made in the form of a servant, but who he was was king. He was God. And yet he still did that for us. The last one we're going to deal with is Ephesians 5.21. This is one of my favorite verses um, in all of Scripture. Um, One of my favorite words in all of Scripture. It's in Ephesians 5 where in following after Ephesians 5.21, the rest of what happens here are are rules for living within the church, husbands, wives, parents, parents. Uh, slaves and masters and just operating living within a church it's rooted and everything is based on this one verse and understanding what this one verse means so all of your relationships within the church within your marriage and your children and the way you serve people is rooted here it's very important and it's really rooted in this one word submitting submitting to one another out of reverence for christ two things to note about this verse submitting and reverence for christ the the language here, reverence for Christ, means because of the example of Christ, this is what we're going to do. Because Christ submitted, we're going to submit. That's what this understanding of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another because of the example of Christ. And this word submit is a word that I've defined many times here before. Um, hupatasso. Uh, it's, a, it's a big big word, and it is the call of our lives to hupatasso, because Christ has first hupatassoed us. And hupatasso is a compound word that is hupa and tasso. Hupa is under. It's just a simple prefix, under. And tasso means to place in certain order. So, and the, the nuance of this word is that the order is correct. If we were to, if we have to stand up and, and alphabetize everybody, we're going to stand up, and this is the, uh, an exercise you've done to teach kids the alphabet. If we are all stand up and to say our last names, we're going to get in the right alphabetized order. The A's would come before the B's, and the B's would come before the C's. That's, this is tasso, to arrange in the correct order. To alphabetize something is to tasso it, right? So the, it is not just a particular order, but the correct particular order. You follow that? You see the difference? Hupatasso is to place yourself under in the correct order. It's massive for us. And all of our relationships are dependent upon our idea and ability to understand and practice hupatasso. The correct order is under. The correct order is you are more important than me. I want you to think about that. When you're trying to determine what you're going to do today or this week, think about hupatasso. The correct order are my needs come after your needs. And it's out of reference for Christ. Christ would have rather stayed in heaven next to God. But instead he came to this earth to live this life. And here's the, the beautiful part about that is I think I just misspoke because Christ would not have rather stayed in heaven. But instead, Hebrews tells us that Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame. Do you remember what the next words are? For the joy that was set before him. The best way for us to get our joy is to die to ourselves 
And that's so different from what this world preaches to us. When you guys are watching TV today, when you're watching the football games today, and you watch the commercials, preying upon your own desires, trying to, get, trying to convince you that your life is not complete and you need this product. That's what commercials marketing is all about. Convincing yourself that something is wrong with you or something is lacking in you to get this product, so go get this for yourself. Contrary to Hupatasso, contrary to Christ. For if we really are to pursue our own joy relentlessly, we have to die to ourselves. Because the only time when our joy is complete and full is when we are in complete and full obedience to who Christ is. For the joy that was set before him, Christ killed himself. For the joy that's set before us, we are to kill ourselves. Flip over to Matthew 16. We're going to go quick here through Christ talking about this idea, this notion. Matthew 16, 21 through 25. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribe and be killed and on the third day be raised. So he tells his disciples, I'm going to go and I'm going to die. I'm going to let these people kill me. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Peter's mind is focused on here and now. Peter's mind is focused not on the hupatasso of Christ, but instead he's focused on the kingdom that he expects to come where he's in power and authority and in control. Jesus turns to Peter in verse 23 and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Here's the, here's the like, knee-buckling moment here. This is Peter, who Christ later calls the rock and builds his church on and, and establishes the church on this guy. He calls him Satan and a hindrance. When we, listen to me, when, when we do the opposite of death to self, when we do the opposite of hubatasso, we are a hindrance to the kingdom. That's really big, especially like, this is what, when I told you about writing that, the first sermon and, and then leaving and coming back and, and, and rewriting a sermon. And in that meantime, that hour and a half, I was in prayer. I was thinking about this. A hindrance to the kingdom. When we operate in our own flesh, when we operate apart from hupatasso, when we operate apart from that, we're a hindrance to the kingdom. And it, it breaks my heart that I was close to being a hindrance to the kingdom. I don't ever want to do that. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. When you suffer and whine about it and wonder what in the world, where in the world God is, stop it. Can we be friends enough to say that? Christ is weaving and orchestrating and planning Christ into you through your suffering. 
Embrace it. Own it. God is shaping you. It's massive for us. Go back a few chapters to Matthew 10. And this is going to hit home harder and more difficult. Matthew 10, 38 and 39. Again, familiar verses. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And cross, this is, don't let this familiarity of these verses pass you by here. Don't let your crucifixion, your cross, your thing that drives the life out of you. Whoever who finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, joy that Christ has before us. The only way we can really live a full life is through self-crucifixion. Flip over to Luke 9, 23. We're going to see this same idea again with something added to it. Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. That's the addition from what we just read in Matthew. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. This is an exercise that we have to take every single day, all of our moments of our lives, because our flesh wants to turn and serve itself. But daily crucifying ourselves, daily being willing to place ourselves under, daily being willing to hupatazo, daily being willing to, to die an awful death every day. This is crucial for us. And your mission, your joy, your love, your family, your church, your relationships, your job, your money, everything is dependent upon it. It's so big. But here's the deal. This idea is impossible. It's so hard. It can't happen. Our flesh is really strong. Instead of humility, we have self-centeredness. Flip over to Romans chapter 7. It's going to be on the, on the board as well. Actually, don't flip over. Just read it off, off of the screen. This is a battle that's happening in our lives all the time, consistently. It's a battle that David lost when he had sex with another man's wife. And then he killed that man. It's a battle that Peter lost in the verses we just read in Matthew. It's a battle that we lose all the time. It's a battle that Christ did not lose on his way to the cross. And it's a battle that Paul loses constantly enough to write these words in Romans chapter 7. Starting in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. In other words, just before Christ, sin was the thing that directed my path, and did, I did what it told me to. Verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. In other words, I, I completely understand death to self. I completely understand that that's my call, and I want to, but I don't understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, that is crucify myself, but I do the very thing that I hate, that is serve myself. Now if I do what I do not want, that is serve myself, I agree with the law and that is good. So now 
it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. There is sin that is in me. There is sin that is in you that is at war with you to keep you from dying to yourself. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. This message that I'm preaching this, this, this morning, that I've been preaching to myself for however many years, that I've been dying to preach to you all, is something that none of us have the ability to do. Not David, not Peter, not Paul, not Rick, not Dave. No one has the ability to live this out. We all will fail in this daily crucifixion of self. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Stay with me. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And there's some of you in this room that are completely not paying attention, and, and this is going to be gone at 1230 this afternoon. There's some of you that this is pressing in on, and God is calling you to crucify yourself. Evil lies close at hand for you. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I so want this. But I see in my members, I see in my mind, my spirit, my flesh, Another law that wages war against the law of my mind and takes me captive to the law of sin and dwells in my members. And listen to Paul write these words. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You are a failure at this. You will fail. But you're no different than Paul. You're no different than David. Because the beauty of of David and Bathsheba and him committing adultery with another man's wife and murdering that man without that awful, terrible act, the beauty of Psalm 51 and how it ministers to my soul and yours never gets written. God takes our evil and our awfulness and changes it into something beautiful. This is who God is. God redeems everything. It's so big. And it's found in Romans 7. And the thing is, is that I'm preaching a message to you that you cannot do, that you are destined to fail. You're destined to fail today. But the hope is that God will redeem even that failure. And there's people that are around us that are doing broken stuff to us. But God will redeem even that for us. Wretched man that I am, wretched man that you are, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who Jesus will and has forevermore, once and for all. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with with my flesh I serve the law of sin. An impossible task is in front of us, which is why we throw ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Though, though we were sinners, he died for us. I have no idea the extent of what I'm capable of from a sinning standpoint, but I have no idea the power and the redemption of our beautiful God. This is what he offers to us. Let's pray and let's worship and let's respond to this beautiful and majestic and awesome God. Father, I thank you for Jesus. God, I even... I'm so bold to thank you for my own failure and my own sin, which has directed my mind to you. God, I'm thankful for the sin of David. I'm thankful for the sin of Paul that I can relate to and understand and throw myself on the mercy of your son. God, I pray now for whatever it is, whatever it takes in our lives, God, that we would crucify ourselves daily, that everything is dependent upon this, God. And not for some religious activity, but instead for our own joy and relationship with you, Father. God, I pray now for the moments of darkness in my heart and in the hearts of those here, God. When we're confused about our purpose, we're confused about anything, God. Remind us of this idea to crucify ourselves. Remind us that every work on this earth that's come from a man, it's come from a man who's learned to die to himself. Father, would you give me what's needed to become a man willing to die to himself? Leading a church that's filled with people willing to do what it takes to die to themselves. And God, may anything that that comes of this message not be because some guy screamed in front of us, Father, but instead because you have placed your spirit in us and given us what's needed to change. And follow you. God, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his perfect name that I pray. Amen.